Hello, everybody, and welcome to Between Two Weirwoods, a podcast where we are talking to some of the best players in the game about how they are making their factions work. Today with me, I have Clarence Lee, who is going to be talking about his 4-1 winning lists from the TSL Season 2, where he ran Baratheons. Clarence was the original winner of the NRG tournament put on by A Song of Ice and Fire Stats, a Masters qualifier. He has won multiple small tournaments in his local area, and his team in the TSL Season 2 won their Division 1. Yeah, say hello, Clarence. Hello, hello, everybody. Thank you for having me here. I'm very honored. So let's just drive straight into your lists. It looks like you brought two Stanisside lists. Yep. So let's, let's start with Rightful Air. Let's go through that list. Yeah, so I, I just kind of want to preface this a little bit by saying that um, uh, when when Larks approached me to join his team for the TSL, they had already chosen three players. And, uh, they'd already taken the three most like, competitive factions at the time. So they'd already taken Night's Watch, Lannisters, and um, Targaryens, which were, of course, the ones that I wanted to play. And uh, we talked about you know what we wanted to fill in as our fourth faction. And... Um, I'm a, you know, hardcore Stark player from 1.6. Uh, it was the first faction I ever played with, and I did a lot of experimenting with them. Um, and, you know, I, that was my first instinct, was to go with Starks. Um, but after some practice in 1.7, I didn't have a lot of success with them because I was playing them like the old Starks. I was trying to fit in, like, multiple direwolves and get lots of activations. And um, in this edition, if you do that, you don't really get the hard-hitting units you used to get in 1.6. So... Um, you know, that was my, that was my concern was that I, I didn't think they were that good. We didn't know about, you know, hardened spam at the time. This was like way in the beginning of 1.7. So we decided to land on, on Baratheons. And I, I, I don't really remember how we came upon Baratheons as our decision. I think it might've been like the durability of wardens and holding objectives seemed appealing. Uh, it's funny because now in hindsight, you know, I don't know if we would have done that because according to the stats rankings, you know, at the moment they are like one of the bottom ranked factions. Uh, out there, which is kind of funny. Yeah, they uh, they they definitely are not not up there with them. And um, as Carlo from Song of Ice and Fire Stats dot com will say, neutrals are basically just Baratheons. And when we look at your rifle air list here, we can definitely see that. Yeah, for sure, for sure. So um, basically, the philosophy going into it was we predicted that you know most other teams are going to be taking. Night's Watch and Lannisters and Targaryens, and we don't know what the fourth faction is going to be, but expect to face those three factions. And um, we knew that you know if you're going to play Night's Watch, you're going to be playing Othril with crossbows and and war machines. You play against uh, Targaryens, it's probably going to be a lot of dragons, mother dragons, and so on. And against Lannisters, at the time, um, the big deal was red cloaks, um, since you know at the time they had the. Uh, charges two actions equals two panic tests with Joffrey and uh, poor fellow spam. So when I was building my Baratheon list, that was kind of the meta that we predicted we'd be, we'd be going into. So the rifle air list was more or less designed to take on Night's Watch and Dragons, um, since my other list was meant to take on Lannisters. So um, I talked to my gaming group, my local gaming group, and I said, you know, I'm really struggling to come up with some good lists that can handle Night's Watch especially. And they said, you know, the problems that both Targaryens, that is Dragons, and Night's Watch present are kind of similar, right? The problem is that 
Um, they have a lot of weapons that ignore your armor and cause vicious panic tests. So with that in mind, it's like, you know, maybe we should try to not take units that rely on war and don't worry about having good morale since you're probably going to fail those tests. So um, the unit that we looked at would, was Hedge Knights. You know, Hedge Knights are um, seven points for heavy cavalry. They only have a four plus save, but we don't really care because dragons ignore armor, war machines ignore armor. And um, yeah, they only have morale seven, you know, maybe six if you've got the money bags. But with Vicious, even at morale six at a minus two, you're probably going to fail. So, you know, we don't mind that they're morale seven. We, we're expecting to fail, I guess is the point. So um, that's where the list started. You know, double hedge knights seem to make sense because it lets you react to the dragon maneuvering and it lets you close in on war machines and crossbows. Um, and against crossbows, you still can take the bags um, and Baratheons have a lot of ways to manipulate tactic zones uh, to ensure that you've got the best save possible. Um, so started off with a pair of hedge knights at 14 points uh, total. And then I still wanted to run that theme of cavalry again to react to dragon maneuvering and to war machines. So um, I can't take more neutrals, so we have to take the actual Baratheon cavalry, which is the champions of the stag, at eight points. Uh, so they have a two plus save, you know, that's cool. Uh, again, may not be good into the meta that we're fighting into. And they're a bit slower, but they're the only cav option that we have. So they're loaded in um, at, uh, at eight points. So that brings us to 23 points. And, you know, because we're taking such elite units, one of my general philosophies for list building is you want to maximum your activation as many digital as possible. So I feel like you really want to aim for eight if you can. But in this particular build, it's more or less impossible because you're taking such elite units. Now, Stannis' side, of course, can take Dragonstone Nobles. But unfortunately, you know, in, in this build, it doesn't make sense to take them. Um, if you're predicting Night's Watch, you're going to predict Scorpions. Scorpions just make a mockery of Dragonstone Nobles. And uh, Dragons literally one-shot Dragonstone Nobles too. So you're literally paying four points for an activation that's not going to do much else. So it doesn't seem to make sense to go for the cheap, you know, activation of a Dragonstone Noble. So after those three cab units, I said I want to, you know, take as many activations as I can. So let's try and take three NCUs. So I allocate 12 points there. And uh, the ones I went for were Davos Seedworth, um, Shira, and Alistair. So Davos was taken because I think he's actually a very excellent four-point NCU uh, for multiple reasons. One, rerolling charges is really key uh, to make charges reliable. And getting charges with this build into Night's Watch crossbows and war machines and dragons is super important. And B, his second ability, most people kind of uh, overlook. So... Uh, it says here that each time a friendly unit activates, you may remove a token. If you do until the end of the turn, enemies engaged with that unit may not use orders or be the target of friendly cards. So it's kind of like a winter is coming almost, where if I want to make sure that you can't use uh, set for charge or um, a shield wall or land supremacy, or I don't want to use tactics cards such as fire made flesh, I can pop a token charge in, you're now engaged, and that means you can't use those orders of tactics cards. And um, most people aren't aware of that, uh, and or they misunderstand how it works. They feel like you have to start engaged, but you don't have to start engaged. As long as you make the charge in, you end up engaged, and um, that can really shut down a lot of defensive abilities that people may not expect. So Davos is, is, is great um, uh, as an NCU. I think he's actually one of the top NCUs in the game. Um, then I take Alistair Florent. Uh, Alistair is taken because 
again, for the hedge knights, you want to make sure you have those critical zones. So if you're going offense, you want to make sure you have the swords so that your opponent um, gains a vulnerable token when they attack. And uh, if you're going defensive against crossbows, you want to make sure you've got the bags to have the extra pip of morale when you save. And the last NCU, <laughs> I was going to take Tycho, but I ended up going over my neutral limit. So I ended up taking Shire Errol, uh, because I think the only choices were Shire or Alistair Florent. And, uh, sorry, Sil Florent, Sil Florent. And Sil's um, abilities, you know, I was reading them, I didn't really think they synergized incredibly well with this build. I saw that Shire can heal a wound when you take the crown, so it kind of made sense to, like, try and, you know, keep my sustain up a little bit with Shira. But honestly, in all my games I've played with her, she hasn't done a heck of a lot. So um, kind of like the best of, of what's left over kind of thing. Um, now, interestingly, you know, when I mentioned Alistair Florent to have the right zones, in particular, this is important against Night's Watch because uh, if you're going to be playing into competitive builds and taking Awful, um, for example, they're going to want to take the bags, which enhances all their Awful cards. And the plan was, okay, you know, on the turns that they go first, they're probably going to put Peter Baelish onto the bags, take the free attack with, you know, crossbows or scorpion or whatever, and then you activate Alistair, you take the swords, and then you swap so that you A, deny them the swords, and B, you steal the bag from them. And in practice, I have to say that it didn't work out quite as nice as I thought it would. Um, and the reason for this is because if they go first and take Peter onto the bag, they're already getting like a really strong attack off somewhere. And when you counter by putting Elstrom the swords, like you have to block the swords because you don't want to eat another shot, obviously. Um, it's kind of a dead activation on your part because odds are you're probably not in combat yet. Um, so it, it, it just felt a bit lackluster, to be honest with you. Um, would I do it again? Probably. It's probably your best option, but... Uh, it's not as, like, hamstring, it doesn't really hamstring your opponent's thought as, bad as, as badly as I thought it would. The other thing, too, I guess, is that uh, that honed enhancement card that Awful has still gives a bonus without the bags. It still gives them plus one attack, I believe. So it doesn't really, like, deactivate the card at all, or completely, I should say. So after taking those 12 points of NCUs, um, I ended up with the, having exactly six points left, and that's going to be my commander bunker, essentially. And you'll see here that I took Stormcrow Archers as my bunker, which is kind of a surprising choice, I'd say, for most people, um, because it's not you know, particularly durable and uh, it's a bit vulnerable. But the reality is, into the matchups that I'm expecting, it kind of made the most sense to me. Um, you know, most people put Wardens you know, for your bunker. And the thing is, Wardens do nothing against dragons, and Wardens do nothing against war machines and crossbows. They just get shot. You're literally in a slow-moving, you know, uh, uh, what's we call it? Slow-moving target, essentially. The Stormcrow Archers can actually threaten those units. Um, plus, if I'm going to put Alistair onto the swords, I can actually get a shot off with the Stormcrow Archers um, against, you know, crossbows or war machines or whatever. So it lets me add that little bit of extra chip damage. So against Night's Watch, you know, if I'm playing into crossbows and cavalry, they're not shooting the archers, right? They're shooting the things that are rushing them down. So the archers can add a little bit of extra chip damage. And um, yeah, against dragons, wardens will literally be outmaneuvered and fried. The archers actually give you some ability to um, lay out some offense and do some chip damage before your cavalry uh, rush in. So that's why the Stormcrow archers were taken. Um, and I got to say, in all my practice games, and uh, did I ever use this list? I did use this list once against uh, Targaryens. Um, it, it proved to be more effective than wardens ever could have been. Yeah, so that's uh, that was the philosophy behind this particular list. All right, yeah, thank you. That's 
It's very interesting. Um, looking at the list, you said you took Shira because you wanted you wanted Tycho, but Shira was basically all that's left over for you. You have too many NC yeah. points. Did you consider something like uh, Faithful or even trying to drop a point somewhere and take Lightbringers to fit in uh, Tycho over Shira? Or were you... Were you oh. pretty much set on Stormcrow Archers? Um, yeah, so the thing is, Stormcrow Archers cost seven. So I'd have to cut a point from someone else. Yeah, and that, that would likely mean... would have been oh, the yeah. Champions of the Stag. Yes, so they could have been downgraded to Sentinels. Like, I'd consider making them Sentinels. Um, but that, And then I could upgrade uh, Stormcrow Archers to be Lightbringers, and then I could take uh, Tycho then. And definitely... Um, I've made variations of the list where I have less hedge knights, I believe, and more times of the stag. And it's interesting because, you know, if you take more times of the stag, it kind of improves your matchup against Night's Watch, who almost always take crossbows, and that two plus A will really help against crossbows. Yeah. Um, but it makes your matchup worse against Targaryens, um, where the armor means nothing and the speed is significant. Uh, so I feel like it's kind of like, you know, you, you kind of tech one way or the other. If you, if you go... Um, less cavalry, you're kind of making yourself worse against um, Targaryens in a way. And Tycho is great, don't get me wrong. I think recently they've they've they've, seen, they've said that Tycho is like the number one ranked NCU in the game right now. He's just taken in every list because that five wound heal is so significant. It is so massive, I yeah. Think, yeah, it's, it's really good. Um, so I have considered, but I do feel like the cav is super key against uh, against against dragons. Now, I, I don't know. Maybe you can tell me what your opinion is, Gordy. Do you think Mother Dragons is is a thing still? Because I'm worried about fighting it, obviously. But I find that a lot of top Targaryen players nowadays are not running MOD. They're running, like, single dragon with Khal Drogo. Or single dragons with, like, Grey Worm because Grey Worm has issued commands. Like, they're looking for commanders who can get them extra attacks um, from the practice cards. What do you think? I believe that Mother Dragons will still be a thing. Um, Fire Made Flash is such an incredibly strong card. Um, if you put Daenerys into a unit of uh, Blackguard to give you the points for Barrist and Selmy, I know a lot of people right now are running the Pyat Pre Walder build for that mm -hmm. extra free attack at the end of the round. Um, I have found that almost to be a trap. You're basically playing a 2 NCU list, hoping that you can stay engaged at the end of the round. You know as Mother of Dragons that unless you do a very odd 2NCU list and bring uh, Poor Fellows or the 3-point Jora, you're only ever going to run into a 7-activation Mother of Dragon list. So you're already down 1 from the average. The average is generally 8. So I, I believe that the 2 or single dragon lists are going to become the norm. Uh, especially with things like um, mercs with a unsullied officer. And for people who don't really know what that is, the Stormcrow Mercenaries have the adaptive keyword, giving them a minus one discount for attachments. And the unsullied officer is a three-point attachment with Relentless, which is a free maneuver or attack action um, instead of activating a unit that round. So it's it's considered a pseudo-activation because you can activate the unit to do that attack or maneuver 
and not have to activate a unit. And that comes down to one of the cheapest activation. I might be, no, there are three point activations. So it is essentially two activations for seven points, averaging a 3.5 points for, per activation, which is very strong and something that Baratheons need, essentially. You had mentioned about bringing um, the Dragonstone Nobles. Um, they are a four point cavalry unit. Um, but they are solos, so they only have four wounds. Or do they have three? They have three. They used to have, I think they used to have four 1.6. Yeah. So they can, they're immediately picked up by a dragon. Uh, the Night's Watch Scorpions are generally one-shotting them as well. There are too many things in the game that picks up that unit quite easily in the um, very competitive meta. So I, I, I understand why you went the Champions of Stag over two Dragons or Nobles. It would have given you more activations, but you would have been losing activations faster and in turn essentially going down to a six activation list instead of the seven that you have. Yeah, exactly. In, in the matchup against Night's Watch and Targaryens, the, the Dragons or Nobles are essentially just fast numbers. Um, and at four points, it's just not great to just be a fast now, you chose the Rightful Heir as your commander for this list. Uh, when looking through the list, really the only uh, loyalty unit you brought was Davos Seaworthy. Did you ever consider running this as a um, Renly side list? Or do you find that both Rightful Heir Stannis and uh, the Davos NCU bring enough that things like Olena NCU or Courtney Penrose NCU just just can't handle? Right. That's a great question, and I've made a list afterwards that was uh, Renly's side that's focused on the healing, so I think I... Let me double check on that list. Um, yeah, so I ended up taking Renly in Wardens. That saves me a point. Um, I'm able to take Trem to the Stag twice instead of double Hedge Knights. Um, and then I was able to take Courtney and Tycho based on how the neutral points work for me, which is a lot more right. healing-centric. Renly has more healing cards too, but it's a very different take on the list because it's more defensive. Um, I really think Davos is critical into the mechanisms because of the possibility to do damage. Um, and that's why I wanted a Stannis. And, you know, did I need Stannis? Could I check in Andrew Esterman? Andrew Esterman actually is a very viable choice too because he has some very aggressive cards um, such as the... Uh, I believe that one is a uh, rush of aggression, and right, that let me double check. He may also have assault orders. Assault orders, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So I think, I think... now assault orders, reckless fury, which gives him vicious and highest attack die value, uh, and then you suffer two wounds minus one wound for each of uh, your destroyed ranks, and rush of aggression for the automatic six on the charge and critical blow. Yeah, and I think Rush of Aggression is actually fantastic in this kind of build um, because it lets you kind of outmaneuver the dragons a little bit and get the charge on them. You don't care about being vulnerable on your part because they can get over anyway. Um, yeah. So I think Andrew would have been an interesting alternative. I think I chose Stannis uh, for, for you know two reasons. One, um, the marked target ability against dragons can be really useful for pushing for extra damage. Um, and B, uh, he does have some decent things. You know, the tactical approach, which lets you deal a melting player might be wounds, can really help, you know, push that extra damage from the dragons. 
and um, his other card, Parch Conditions. If you've got the right setup for it, where you also pull Will of One True King to put down tokens, you can also shut down the uh, Watch Captain for the Knights of the So I did feel like he brought some interesting tools to the table against the matchups that I'm, uh, I was going into. Um, but yeah, the, the main reason why I was focused on the Stannis side was because of Daps. I, I felt that that ability to shut down the Fresh was just super important and super That's very interesting, yeah. Because, like you said, um, Stannis does have some strong cards. Uh, Harsh Conditions is a very good card. Uh, were you ever worried about things, though, in the Night's Watch matchup? You said I can take out uh, the Watch Captains, but... Uh, the fire that burns against the cold to remove condition tokens. Uh, that kind of yeah. throws a bit of a wrench in Stanisides' plans. Was that something of a consideration, or is it just, I gotta hope he doesn't have the card? And Yeah, you know what, honestly, I don't think I considered it at the time. Um, and I think, you know, now, now we know that that is a counter that they can have. But it also slows me down. A, hopefully they don't have the card. And again, they only can really apply the card with Jor unless they get attacked. Right, because the natural trigger for the card is passing over, and I think we'll make, making a panic test. So unless they spend a turn putting Jor, and that's good too in a way, you know, because Jor is normally hunting for uh, hone enhancement or spray enhancement. So if they take a turn to like slow down their offense and put on this card, that's not the worst either. And you know they have to do it before I apply harsh conditions. So they have to like imagine that I have that card. So it's kind of like this mind game, right? Like. Does he have it? Do I slow down my turns to put down this card? That's cool too. Like I, I'm okay with that. That's very fair. Yeah. All right. Um. I think that's pretty much everything about this list. Uh, so let's hop over and look at your list two, which is Stannis One True King. Yeah. So this was the list I probably played with the most. Um, and not the other list was designed for Night's Watch and Targaryens. This list was designed for um, Lannisters, and I was looking at, you know, all the nasty kind of things they can do, and I said, you know, how low can I make my, my morale, essentially, was the theme of this one. So, um, I started off with a couple of different builds, and then a friend of mine suggested, hey, have you tried the Rawler stuff? You know, have you tried the Faithful? Have you tried Sleeve and Shireen? And I said no, because when I looked through all those cards, I really wasn't super impressed with them. But... I'm always willing to experiment, and I kind of fell upon this list uh, eventually, and I really, really enjoyed how it all came together. So um, it starts off with a pretty typical uh, bunker for Stannis One Through King, which is Wardens, and Stannis One Through King fits so well into Wardens. So he provides, A, he makes the unit brawler, B, he gives him Iron Resolve, and that is, uh, you know, helping to resist mm -hmm. that panic from Lannisters, right? So your round six essentially becomes five. Plus, Iron Resolve means you take one less wound, so if you're taking multiple Panic Tests from Red Cloaks, you'll be taking overall less damage if you fail. And the cool thing is, if you pass, Dom's means you're going to heal a wound instead. So that can really be uh, a huge, you know, turnaround to the Panic damage that's trying to cause to you. Um, in, in this build, you know, I do want to try and get the eight activations, and the only real way that you can do that efficiently is the Dragonstone Nobles. So I did take a pair of them. Um, it's still risky to take Dragonstone Nobles against Lannisters because... You know, Red Cloaks make you take a test at minus three. Uh, if they throw a Hear Me Roar, it's minus four. And you're testing on seven, you know, and, and you can fail. And especially if you have Hear Me Roar or, or Joffrey on you, it's dealing plus one, plus two wounds potentially. Like, you can still just die to panic, which is pretty horrible. Yeah. Um, so I, I try to 
play them pretty defensively and hang them back outside of that uh, Venice of Justice range. So take a pair of those guys, um, and that leaves me a decent amount of points to take some heavier units. So the first one I took was Brawler Faithful. Again, the main motive here was that they have a base model of 4, which is very good, even testing at minus 3, um, you're testing on 7, odds are in your favor. And I kind of, you know, try to put all the combo pieces together. So you take the, the Faithful, you throw in a Red Priestess, and I know there's a lot of complaining about the Red Priestess because she seems just to be a worse version of Warcry, essentially, because you have to take a wound to, like, to, uh, take a wound and suffer a panic test, no less. You know, whereas Warcry is just a morale test, so if you, mm -hmm. if you fail, no big deal, right? Um, but she's still pretty good in this build. So the, the way this combo works um, is that you charge into combat, you use Red Priestess, it means that you suffer one wound, you have to pass a panic test, but if you do, your opponent becomes panicked and vulnerable. Um, if you pass this panic test, you also make a faith token for yourself, which you'll then use in combat to give yourself uh, precision and vicious. So now you've got like four keywords that are kind of working in your favor. You've got on the offense, you know, vicious and precision, and then when they're making saves and making panic tests, they're, they're panicked and vulnerable. So that tends to push through a lot of damage, but then you can even go one step further by adding Sleaze and Shireen. If you influence this unit with Sleaze and Shireen, when you pass that panic test, and now you're at plus one to pass the panic test, you also deal a wound back to your opponent. So it looks like this. You charge in, you pass your panic test, they take a wound from Sleaze and Shireen, and then you lay the beat down with your seven attacks, with precision, rerolling the hit, with vicious, and the vulnerable, and the panic. It does a shocking amount of damage, and that's even before you add the offense cards like um, Fires of the Fury or the uh, Enroller's Name card that stands for Athen Provides. Enroller's Name is crazy. It gives you... Uh, critical blow and sundering and that can really like explode a lot of damage out of nowhere with all these tokens and um precision you know lettering on top of each other so um they are they are fragile of course with the five plus armor save but you're only pretty much taking physical damage because you have that that great morale so they don't die as quickly as one might imagine especially in this you know game where things generally you know don't deal as much physical damage overall mm -hmm. um so that's that unit <clears throat> and then that's after I take my three NCUs and I took Davos for all the same reasons I mentioned before, uh, Sleeve and Shireen is really the linchpin of this army in a lot of ways because um, you're taking a lot of your own panic test based on Stance's cards. And again, I'm expecting to play into Lannisters, so again, I'm expecting to make a lot of panic tests. Um, so not only does she help me deal that extra chip damage and wounds, uh, but B, you know, where I can prevent a unit from dying is humongous. And it's more about remembering to use it sometimes. Uh, for me than than um, than not because having a unit that's on objective survive endgame and still score a point for hmm. you is completely game changing and the loss of tempo of losing an NCU at the end of the game is not that significant so people forget sometimes you know they devote a lot of resources to killing something and then when you keep them alive still it can real can it can be a huge um, gut punch that they weren't expecting. Oh yeah, as someone um, who's been mostly playing uh, Greyjoys, having both Bale and MCU and What Does Dead May Never Die, there's nothing more frustrating to your opponent when they've just dumped a ton of resources into killing a unit, and all of a sudden, it's there. It's still there, they had a plan, they were going to kill the unit, surge right. forth onto an objective, and now you've thrown a massive wrench into their plan, and they have to completely rethink the rest of their turn. So right, I 100% yeah. I understand that Sleeves and Shireen... Yeah, and, and, you know, Greyjoys do it even better because it's at the cost of a card. You don't even lose an activation to, to, to do so, so that's pretty, that's pretty great. 
Um, and yeah, because I don't have a lot of neutrals, I am I am able to fit Tycho into the list. Um, you know, the army can be squishy between the Bastard Girls and the Royal Faithful. Having the extra five wounds heal is pretty great. Um, you are going to be dealing yourself damage too with the Faithful as they use the Red Priestess, so having that safety net is pretty key. So after paying 13 points for NCUs, I'm left with seven points. And, you know, I'm a, when I make lists in general, so one thing I mentioned earlier is, you know, I think most people know is you want to try and maximize your activations. Eight is like the money number that you want to aim for. Um, the other thing that I think is important is that you want to have range control in your build. And the way to have range control is through either archery, long range shooting, or cavalry. Now, in this list, I do have a pair of Dragonstone Nobles, but they're not real cavalry because they don't hit super hard. They are there to tie things up, and that's, you know, the mobility they provide is useful there. But they don't make your opponent slow down. Um, so I wanted a range unit, and with seven points left, I had three main options, um, which were Stormcore Archers with one, Lightbringers, or uh, Bastard Girls. And the one that I practiced with the most was Stormcore Archers with Flame. Um, I really love, like, Stormcore Archers in Baratheons because the, the way they can manipulate the tactic zones and um, just really pump out a lot of fire is not to be underestimated, especially from giving you motivated to coin. Yeah. Um, what I found was against Lannisters, they're like, hey, that's the one unit in the army that's got morale six. And, you know, I'm just going to focus all my panic tricks on that unit. And they just melt. They just completely melt to Lannister Justice. Um, and I thought to myself, okay, this is not really working out. They're not actually shooting that much. And as they degrade, they're losing attacks. You know, I was like, do Lightbringers fit better? And they're like, not really. Like, they're only all six base also. And that minus two, you're probably going to fail. So I figured, you know what, maybe Bastard Girls are the best option because they have all five. And with minus three, they're testing on eight. That's not great either. But if you have, you know, a Weirwood Tree, uh, which you can deploy... In the TSL, like you get to control the, uh, the terrain. Now that you know morale four, essentially, right? So I felt like, again, I wanted to just try and minimize the panic damage. It made the most sense to use Bastard Girls. Plus, I think Bastard Girls are just a great unit. You know, um, even with only four measly shots, people still treat them with a lot of respect. They still measure out the the range and stay outside of their fourteen inch threat range. And it provides with another you know aggressive unit that can um, deal a lot of melee damage as well. So they kind of tag team with the faithful. To, um, to, to, you know, get in there and, and do a lot of damage. Um, so that's what I ended up taking was, I, I ended up taking not a lot of shooting um, and and go, going for the kind of the hybrid unit that the Girls are. But it's it's funny, every game I played with them, people still respect the range. People still say, okay, you can shift two, you got a range of 12, I'm staying in the range, even though it's only, you know, four shots hitting on threes. I will say, I think the biggest thing with Bastards Girls and the range respect on them is unlike most other ranged units who have that 14-inch range, uh, they don't want to get hit and take large damage, Bastards Girls will get you stuck. Because if you're being shot by Stormcrow Archers, you have a chance to just shrug off the wounds anyway, and you can still move in, you can still hit what you want. But the Bastards Girls, when they shoot, they're able to make that charge. And it's, it's almost... Even if you don't care about the damage the Bastard Girls are taking, the loss of uh, movement and maneuverability, if they get in, is almost scarier than the shots themselves. So I understand the respect people give range of the Bastard Girls. 
good point. You know, if if you have to close in on your opponent, you'll just march into Storm Crows, eat the shots, and you'll eventually touch them, and they're going to die. Faster girls, you know, as you just said, you know, if you get close, they are very quick. You know, they can shift two when they shoot, and they have a base move of six. So, you know, um, what is that? So they have essentially like an eight-inch plus D6 charge on you. And I have Davos in my list, so I can reroll that charge as well. So, yeah, they can really do a lot of damage. Um, and I, and I, I, I think that's why people still treat them with a lot of respect, too. Mm-hmm. Now, your list, you said you wanted to go off of high morale for this. Did you consider mm-hmm. at all running uh, Commander Axel Florent over the Stannis One True King? That would have given you the Stalwart keyword over Iron Resolve, so plus two morale, which can can come in uh, handy, because I know a lot of Lancer cards, like Subjugation of Power is a morale test and not a panic test. Um, I believe there's some other cards out there that are morale-based and not panic. Um, so yeah, the Iron Resolve point. doesn't actually come up in that. Um, you, mm-hmm. you don't have the same panic resistance in cards but Axel Florent, but you do gain a fiery charge for an auto six distance, which with Bastards Girls can be massive. And you also have a card where if you take a panic test, where all of your units have this high morale, um, if you pass, then the enemy engaged with your unit suffers one wound. Basically, they suffer the wounds you would have taken instead. Was... Was Axel at all a consideration over the One True King? I know you said that One True King, his cards, can put out a lot of spike damage with those faithful. But mm. uh, just basically, if you were thinking of flipping the switch instead of going uh, melee damage, physical damage, going straight for the panic with uh, Axel, was that a consideration at all? So at the time, I'm going to admit I did not. Um, and since then uh, I've, I've seen some people talk about axel and i've looked at his his cards and i think they are pretty good you know um fire resolve is a is a pretty shocking one that you can bounce back so much panic to your opponent that they were hoping to build to you is, is pretty awesome um fire charge is a great card um and i don't think rollo's wrath is that good but at the same time i don't think one of stance's cards which is test of faith is that good either so i think mm-hmm. that uh, axel provides with an interesting alternative um and I think I think he's 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 good. You know, I do I do like that. Uh, sorry, Stannis One True King provides in Rawler's name. So, um, in Rawler's name is is another offense card. It provides you sundering or crit blow. Uh, and if you the Rawler keyword it gives you both. Uh, if you don't destroy your opponent, you're gonna make a panic test. I, I did like that panic test part because it's combos with Sleeve and Shireen. Because if you pass the panic test, you deal another wound. Right. Um, and and the Baratheon deck, you know, ha- only has two offense cards. It has Ars of the Fury and it has Sustained Assault. And, and Sustained Assault is kind of weird because you don't use it on the charge. You do it as the name implies during protracted combat, where you're, I guess trying to provide some sustained damage. So I did like. Stannis, I guess, for that reason, that he gave you another offense tool that your Bastard Girls could use, that, you know, your Dragon's Noble could use for the crit blow. Um, but, you know, looking at Axel now, I don't think he's a bad choice. I do think he provides some interesting tools as well. Very, very nice. Uh, I never really thought about that with uh, the fact that Baratheons don't have those combat cards. It is literally, you have Sustained Assault, which it is very hard to play effectively Mm -hmm. 
because um, usually if you're getting hit, the, the bonuses you're getting from sustained assault aren't aren't usually enough. And let me just double check here. On the yeah, weapon. it's like... Uh, okay, it is, it is for a melee attack. Um, I was thinking it was when you activated, so that you can't even... I was thinking you couldn't even use it on the swords. You charge in one turn, they attack back, and then you wouldn't be able to uh, attack first with it and use it. But you are... It's just... It, it wants you to be losing a fight. Right, yeah. I ended up using that card mostly with Dragonstone Nobles because they're almost always charging into something with more ranks in them. Um, and then you get the free vulnerable token. That makes a lot of sense, yeah. Yeah, but you're right. It's not, it's not It's not really a great card. Arts of Fury, I love that card. Don't get me wrong. That card's, that card's money. State Assault is definitely a lot more niche. Now, for this list, you did bring Tycho for the heals. Um, this list 100% has to be Stannis' side because of all of all of the choices uh, short of your neutrals and the wardens are uh, Stannis' side loyalty. Um, the five-point wardens, did you ever consider a different unit such as the, um, the Bolton cutthroats for them to push out maybe a little extra damage where you weren't really worried about uh, physical damage or more i mean your whole army is pretty squishy Were, mm -hmm. or did you want a tankier commander bunker to specifically yeah, a, try to tank yeah that's a great question and i think that um when you look at most of the scenarios you know a lot of them uh have five objectives um even if you play the ones where the three objectives across the middle like dance of dragons or Asha kings or you play feast of crows your commander often ends up sitting on a node, uh, on an objective, just to score that bonus point. So I didn't want cutthroats because, yes, you know, they're all about the offense. Typically, your new commander doesn't want to be in combat. He wants to sit and be safe, and nothing's safer really than wards. And that, that is a big perk, you know, I gotta say, uh, now that I'm kind of experimenting with other lists, um, it's it's tough to find a unit that's as kind of reliable as a ward unit is. Um, for five points, a three plus save, Camera Strike, Morale 6, those are really great stats um, and rules for, for a pretty low price. So, yeah, I just wanted a cheap bunker that could live. If I played Hone and Ready, getting shot by arrows, you don't, don't want to take too much damage. So, yeah, I think Wardens as a bunker were, were the choice to heal, just because you don't really want to get in combat. But if you do get in combat, you know, the Wardens horrible. You know, um, the Counter Strike people overlook, yeah. and, uh, and the fact that they can make you weaken and make you miss even more. Um, can provide some surprising damage as well. Yeah, and then on top of that, with one true king in there having dauntless, you're at a five plus morale save. They're going to be hard to grind down, which makes that weakened token and the counter strike really. It it, it turns into a, an extra grindy unit. I really like yeah. that. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. So since um, since the TSL, I have been looking at other kinds of bracking lists, and I was thinking to myself, you know, is there a better way to build this anti Lannister panic kind of army? And an idea that I had was to run um, uh, a Renly, what's his name? Uh, Rightful? No, wait, hold on. What's his name again? Ren Renly One. What's Renly One's uh, title? I think uh, that one is uh, Charismatic Air. Yes. Okay. Yeah. So. Um, I thought to myself, you know, can I make a decent Renly list? Because he does provide Embolden, and uh, with a Weirwood Tree, you're kind of getting plus two to your morale, and that means that most of your units, which are morale six, go down to morale four, if you have a tree nearby. 
So that's the kind of the one downside of this build that I'm going to point into is that it is dependent on terrain. You're not always near a tree. And um, if your opponent puts a corpse pile, for example, then it kind of negates your, your tree views. But I did consider uh, an eight activation Renly list where it's kind of boring. It's, it's wardens, wardens, wardens. And then your punch comes from hedge knights and stormcrow archers. And um, the MCs I took, I believe, were Peter, Tycho, and uh, the third one can be Marjorie or Courtney Penrose. So you got mm -hmm. the healing from Tycho and, and the and the running side MCU, and Peter and uh, Peter's there to provide you with you know some extra shots with the Stormcrow Archers, and you know the Warrens don't do much, but I think if I saw three Warrens across the table from me, I would kind of be you know dying inside because nobody wants to run into a wall of Warrens, which are just you know pretty hard to kill and pretty durable. Yeah. All right, good stuff. So you had said that your rifle airlist was mostly designed to play into Night's Watch and Targaryens and one true king into Lannisters because those were the big three. Night's Watch and Targs are definitely still the top two. You, um, you, you need a list to deal with either or both of them. Um, the Lannisters, they are, if they're not the number three list, they are what we'd consider like a gatekeeper. You know that you're going to run into them. Uh, they are going to be holding down a lot of other armies who can't. They might have a list that deals with Night's Watch and one list that deals with Targaryens. But the massive spike and panic damage that Lannisters can do will shut down their one of their two lists or both of their lists. Um, but against things like Baratheon, Starks, Free Folks, Greyjoys, Neutrals, did you have any consideration in those... Uh, let's say lesser factions. Um, you had mentioned earlier about things like Harden Spam for Starks. Uh, mm -hmm. A lot of people have been running double Iron Makers with Asha. Mm -hmm. um, have was any of that a consideration in either of these lists, or did you feel like if I can take on Night's Watch Targs and Lannisters, I can handle whatever the other factions can throw at me? Yeah, so um, definitely uh, the answer is no. Uh, you know, I said to myself, I imagine in the TSL, because you're only bringing four factions, I'm sure it's going to be lots of Targaryens, Lannisters, and Night's Watch. And that fourth faction, we really didn't know what was the most popular, you know, and I just hoped that one of my two lists would be uh, flexible enough to handle it. And it turns out that the one true king list with eight activations, with uh, the Bastard Girls providing a little bit of shooting, with the Dragons and Nobles providing cheap activations... Uh, was pretty darn good as a um, as a generals list that could take on Stark, that could take on other Baratheons, and so on. The Dragonstone Nobles I'd actually see are the key units there because um, when facing off against Stark, for example, and they have Berserkers with the veteran, you're mm -hmm. probably never going to kill that unit. But the Dragonstone Noble does an excellent job of tying them up because Berserkers, when they're not damaged, they're actually not that heavy. They only have seven attacks hitting on fours. And yes, you can put Caitlyn on them to get nine, nine attacks, but it's still hitting on fours. You know, until they lose ranks, they're missing half their attacks. And with a two plus save, even if they get Winter's Might where they get some ring, they're not likely to take off all three wounds at one time. Very true. Um, yeah, so I found that uh, anything that, you know, like Flayed Men, Iron Makers, like they have a tough time cracking with Dragons or Nobles. And if my four point unit can tie down your seven point unit your eight point unit that lets my other you know points kind of converge on your weaker spots and, and take you out um from a, i know you've been playing a lot of um great joys 
Uh, is there a way for them to kind of crack through the triple save easily? Uh, they have some builds. I've been playing around with both uh, Theon Commander and uh, Eric Ironmaker, who I know everyone said was a joke commander at the beginning, but I am starting to see some extra value in him with his cards to be able to... Well, really, both of them, their big card that I like is it's an extra card to gain precision. In the standard deck, there is um, Kraken's Wrath, which will grant on an attack if either player is controlling the sword zone, either precision if you are controlling it, or precision and rerolls if your opponent's controlling it. And then both Eric Ironmaker and Theon have an additional card to grant precision. So that oh, okay. is, that's a very strong way to get through a tough save. Um, and mm. then even just standard Reavers, um, they can get up to a 2-plus to hit through Pillage Tokens, depending on who your commander right. is. You can mm. get those Pillage Tokens pretty quick. And then Sundering, a 2-plus to hit, and uh, a Vulnerable Token, which, depending on if you're playing, like, um, Victorian commander or attachment uh newt attachment asha for the war cry vulnerable tokens can be pretty easy to get out and uh i recently just did a big mass spreadsheet and uh two plus to hit with sundering and vulnerable is probably your best way to crack through any um any defense save short of having precision and fishing for sixes on a two plus to hit those are, those are your two best ways to crack through a 2-plus defense save, and Greyjoys do have an answer for both of them. Cool. Yeah, I was lucky enough not to have to run into Greyjoys, because I have to admit, it's it's the newest faction. It's one I'm least familiar with. Um, definitely when I played with or against Greyjoys, it's with uh, Asha normally. I think she's kind of the obvious like go-to commander with her rally point and, and, and morale bubble. Yeah. Um, yeah, I've not seen you know Eric Ironmaker much at all. Um, I've seen a little bit of Victarion, um, but yeah, even Balon, I've not seen much of Balon either. Balon's a personal favorite of mine, um, yeah. But we're not talking about Greyjoys right now, we're going over Baratheons for all you fans out there. <laughs> <laughs> so, basically your rifle heir is your, I'm gonna hunt down the top dogs, my three cavalry units, uh, Davos NCU, being the monster that he is. And then one true king with these eight activations, uh, lots of heals through Tycho, oddly resilient, even though it's two solo units. You still have two plus armor, three plus morale save, and Salish and Shireen to bring you back from the dead. They can pretty much grind through the other, we'll say four neutrals may or may not be a faction, depending on who you ask. <laughs> um, were game modes ever really a consideration for you when picking a list? I know back in the day, it was very common to have a uh, Fire and Blood specific list or a Clash of Kings specific list. Is that is that still something you think about when building lists? Or is it just, I know I'm going to be running into Lannisters, they're going to do the same thing, whether it's Feast for Crows or not, they're going to still be doing the same Lannister thing. Yeah, that's a good point. You know, when I, when I played 1.6, it was definitely 
uh, a question of does the scenario favor a commander or not commander because at the time you could choose instant commanders um, and you know even even back then originally when a scenario favored a commander on the field people sometimes still took instant commanders just because of the activation demand it got you um, today I have to say I don't consider the scenario much um, especially if you know we're playing in a format where the scenario is kind of announced so I think TSL did announce it if I remember I'm more concerned about the factions. I feel like the faction matchups are more important than the scenario matchups right now. Um, just because there is a big skew, you know, the Night's Watch and Targaryen build are so extreme that um, they don't play scenario often either. You know, they are more focused on killing you um, that you really can't focus on the mission and focus on surviving sometimes. Um, I, I also want to admit that, you know, even though I did pretty well with TSL, I went 4-1, I went um, my single loss was to Night's Watch. And... I did take my anti-Night's Watch build against um, that player. I think it was Zizmaj from, from Team Poof, the Polish team. And he absolutely mopped the floor with me. So I don't want to give players out there the impression that this 7 activation list is like the answer. I think it's like the best I could come up with with Brookians. But when it came down to the test of it, like he easily dismantled me. Um, you know, I think round round one, he crippled my, my champions of the stag. Round two, he went first, shot a scorpion. The scorpion did max damage, killed them. So right away, one of my caveats was dead. I'm fighting, you know, down in activations. He was easily able to use his activation advantage to make it impossible for me to charge him two on one against his crossbows. And if you're charging one on one against crossbows with the watch captain, you're not going to win because not only are you going to eat the, you know, ready aim release rule. You're also gonna, you know, they can they can retreat with their activation and still shoot you with the watch captain. So um, I don't think like I don't think Baratheons right now have a great tool set to beat uh, Night's Watch. I know there's been some experimentation out there with like double Mel and Jackin lists to like panic mm -hmm. on the the conscripts and stuff. I don't know how effective they are, um, but yeah, right now it is a very very tough spot for for um, Baratheons to be in against. You know, competitive, awful um, commander knights. Yeah, very true. A lot of people say that Targaryens are a hard counter to Baratheons. Did you find that, or were you finding that the the list you had, the the four for the three cav list, was enough to answer the biggest things that Targaryens put up against your standard? Uh, like your standard three plus defense, say five or six plus morale, slow moving Baratheon army. Was the was hmm. the cav with the Baratheon deck enough to handle the Targaryens, or do you think that there is another list out there that will handle the Targs better? Hmm. Yeah, I n I didn't think about that too deeply. So uh, I played two Targ players. I played uh, Spleen from Australia, and both of his lists were uh, I think solo dragon Caldrogo lists. And because he only had one dragon, and he doesn't have fire made flesh, um, I ended up actually taking my one true king list, which matched him on activations. And I felt that if I could draw a card like Final Strike, for example, that would be enough to kind of deal um, some damage. And um, the game, the game did play out uh, well enough for me. Uh, I guess you know the other elements of his army um, weren't weren't crazy. You know, when you're fighting facing up against screamers and packers, like yes, they're good, but if they have to engage and fight, you know, faithful or bastard girls, like it's not, it's not that bad. And the second Targaryen match was against um, Kai from, um, from Onion Smugglers, 
And he had a Mother Dragons list, and he had a Solo Dragon list as well. And I completely expected to face Mother Dragons. I practiced all my games against Mother Dragons. And he ended up taking um, his Solo Dragon list. And I asked him after the game was done, said, you know, what was the philosophy? Why was the choice made that way? And he said, well, I looked at your, your knight list, and I figured that list was made to counter me. And, you know, I didn't want to play into, play into the matchup. So he ended up taking the Solo Dragon list, but he took Walder. And like you said, Walder, you know, he just gives you activation disadvantage almost. He takes away that tempo, slows you down. And I was able to, you know, use that speed, close in on, 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 his, on his Outriders and close in on his um, cavalry as well. Uh, and, and and take them out. Now, is there a better way to face Targaryens with with Brathians? Um Yeah, you know, against Mother Dragons, I I don't think so because again, you don't want to take the Dragonstone Noble solo. He's just dragon food. And against Mother Dragons, you know, against the dragons, you I think Head Knights are the optimal choice because you're not playing up to their strengths of ignoring your armor and, and making you fail morale. And the Hedge Knights have a very aggressive profile with seven attacks hitting on threes with Sundering, potentially making the opponent vulnerable. So that, that's as punchy as you get. Um, yeah, so it kind of goes back to our initial, you know, comparison is that, like, against Dragons, I'd want double Hedge Knights. Against Night's Watch, I'd probably want double Champion Stag to resist those crossbows. But, you know, you can't do both. And that's that's kind of the problem that Lancers have, right? They can probably beat one or the other, but they can't beat both with both their lists. Yeah. All right. One last thing I want to talk about. You mentioned it earlier, uh, but did terrain come into effect on your list? Did you have specific terrain pieces that you knew you wanted to bring? Were you like, I know I need forests because I need that uh, my dragons, their nobles, to hide inside the forest, be completely immune to range outside of things like scorpions that can just ignore line of sight? Um, were weirwood trees like a, a mandatory pick? Was that a consideration in either of your lists? Yeah, so um, depending on the matchup, if if uh, they have, if I was playing these Lannisters, I'd always want to go Weirwood Trees because you can be sure that they're probably going to go Corpse Paws on their end. Um, but otherwise, I'm a big fan of Palisades. You know, I think Palisades are really great for mm-hmm. narrowing the table down and uh, in forcing fights to certain paths. You know, most units don't, most players or most, yeah, most armies don't bring solo units that can cheaply break those palisades. I do have bastard girls, which, you know, can take advantage of those and create impossible charges through angling. So I'm, I'm a big fan of being tricksy with palisades. Um, the other thing, too, against Night's Watch, I want to say for any, like, new players out there, is that I think forests are, are trap um, against Night's Watch. People think, oh, if I take forests, you know, I'm going to, like, negate their shooting. You really aren't, because the forest is not big enough to hide your whole army. And if they get the right angles, they can see around a forest and, you know, clip a part of your tray. And the um, real problem, I think, sorry, the thing you should be really taking instead is weirwood trees. Because the shooting is obviously nasty on Night's Watch, but what makes it even nastier is when you fail panic test. The scorpion is vicious. They can take straight enhancement onto their crossbows and make their attacks vicious too. So it's not just the physical damage, it's the panic damage that's compounding all the, all the work they're doing to you. So I actually think a weirwood tree... Is, is the best bet against Night's Watch because the forest does not do its purpose. It doesn't, doesn't you know, make the shooting uh, worse because they can always, I feel like, find angles uh, around the forest. I will say to jump onto that, I have found the same thing in my games. Running Weirwood Trees has been the bigger thing. Uh, this rate of Hanson being able to give out vicious 
and I believe it also if they are a builder unit or if they control a cramp, I don't remember which one. Um, if you fail that panic test, you become weakened. So that's something you yeah. definitely don't want. Uh, and then forests. Every a lot of people will play them to protect against ranged units, and most ranged units in the game have low defensive stats, shy of like lightbringers who have a pretty high defensive save. Hmm. Forests will stop you from shooting across them, but if you lose that roll off to determine side and you put a forest within maneuvering range of the deployment zone, their crossbows are now in the forest. They are now just using that forest that you put up to defend themselves to defend against you. They are now getting a plus one defensive on their charge. If you have range, they're potentially hiding from you in it. I I definitely agree that forests can be a trap. Not always. Uh, for things like dragons, dragons are noble, solos who can fully fit inside a forest and be safe from things short of scorpions, they are, they're very strong. But I think if you're using it specifically to try to hide from crossbows and you don't have solos, it's a trap because it's going to bite you in the butt almost as much as it's going to save you. Yeah, I, I've had games where, you know, I put a force down the middle, right? So like, like, you know, there's so many problems with the force. One, if they put down terrain first, they can put a piece of terrain in the middle, and that means that your force to the side is really not covering most of the field anyway. Problem number two is even if you do get a force in the middle, and, you know, you're like, great, you know, the center's covered, you can put a force to the side, now most of the field looks covered. I've, I've had players literally march their crossbows into the force, into the midfield, and they go, great, you want to get that objective? Now you got to charge me. Okay, you're going to eat a stand shoot. Oh, he charged me. I got a plus one save. I've got great morale. I'm not taking much damage anyway. I'll activate, retreat one inch, shoot you again. You want to charge me again? I'm going to shoot you with the ready, aim, release, you know? So they're not even scared of force. Like, they'll they'll go into the force and make you charge them anyway. So, yeah, the forests. um... Unless you're playing someone new who, who doesn't understand how little the forest does, um, is, is a trap. Yeah, very much so agree on that. Um, are there any other... Actually, I, one, one last question. Because this was TSL, it was a different format. For those who don't know, the TSL was the Team Super League put on by George over at 3Sales Gaming. Um, and it was a four-person team tournament. Uh, all four people on the team each brought two lists and they could not share the same faction so we've mentioned before that when clarence joined the team um with daniel lofferman or uh larks as he's much better known as on uh, discord um the main three tags nightwatch and lancers were already taken so would you consider running baratheons in a standalone tournament where you're open to all factions. Would would lists like this be something you would consider running, or are, are you still I mean, thinking that the the power curve of Brathians is just still a little too low, or is there something you would consider where knowing that Targs and Night's Watch will be more of the field, potentially, than yeah. in a team tournament, would you consider running an army that is more geared towards just those two? And hope for the best against the others. Right. Uh, you know, 
having played so much with the Baratheons during TSL and my practice games leading up to it, I've really developed like an affinity for them so much so that I ended up painting and buying all the miniatures in real life. And I was like, man, these are so fun to use. I really enjoyed it. Plus, there's that extra satisfaction of, you know, I beat a Targaryen player with Baratheons. You know, that's like a real feather in your cap. I feel like you may have outplayed your opponent since the factions' powers are so, so, so different. But if I really wanted to go to an event to win, that was my sole purpose. And honestly, you know, I bought a ticket to the LVO. I, I hope I can. Um, I'm going to bring what I think is the best, which is probably going to be Knights of the King's Kids. Maybe Targaryens are probably going to be But I think Baratheons suffer the same problem that pretty much every other faction has that's not called Night's Watch and not called Mother of Dragons. So if you play Greyjoys, you play Neutrals, you play Free Folk, I think the other six factions are actually playable against each other. And I don't feel like, you know, Baratheons historically being bottom ranked actually makes a big difference. I think that they're close enough in power curve that you can play the other six no problem. It's only a problem against Night's Watch, and it's only a problem against Mother of Dragons. I'm going to even say that against solo dragon builds, Baratheons are fine. So, you know, if I wanted to play to win, I would not bring Baratheons for that reason, because I expect other players to bring Night's Watch, and I expect other players to bring Targaryens. Um, but having said that, you know, if... And this is a really interesting, like topic um i just listened to the sunday slaughter podcast for example where they talked about the gamers haven events and they had bans on, on the most uh, negative play experience things in the game and it really made me think like is that the way to go for the future until they release a balance update because um even you know our local men's watch player who's excellent you know and i got to give big props to my, my my local community because we've got some excellent players here he doesn't have fun playing as Night's Watch. He, it's super easy, and he just rolls opponents. And he can tell that his opponents aren't having fun either. So it's not going to foster like a great community, I feel. And I generally don't like to play into band systems because I don't feel like you're playing the real game. But mm -hmm. if it means getting more players and having a better experience, maybe that's the route to go. And on the other route is, is ELO tournaments. ELO events better in that you can bring Night's Watch, you can bring Awful, but you're not going to win because you're going to score less points for doing so. So I think it's a very interesting topic right now. Is, um, you know, what, what is the best way to have a um, an event? When, and I guess, you know, how do you track the most players and how to keep it competitive, how to keep it fun? That's a very interesting topic, I think, to go into. All right. Well, thank you very much, Clarence, for coming on. Uh, do you have any specific shout-outs that you want to give to anyone? Yeah, I guess first and foremost, I want to give a shout out to uh, my gaming crew. You know, so uh, guys like Richard, uh, Richard Charles, Anthony Lamena, uh, Fatty Bunasar. Like, uh, I, I I really feel like the only reason why I uh, had success in the beginning of Song with the um, Northern Rose Gaming event was because of them. They were the players who sharpened me into uh, a good player, and they're all killers. You know, I think each and any one of them um, would give uh, anyone a, a really hard game. So I want to give a shout out to my gaming crew. Um, and just to all the great content creators out there. So yourself, Gordy, thank you for having uh, me on. I'm looking forward to more of, uh, of this podcast as well. Uh, to the Stats Guys, Carlo and Mickey, Sunny Slaughter, to uh, Small Council Radio. So yeah, all the people out there who keep the community live and interested. Like, I love song content, and I'm always looking for things to listen to as I you know, work around the house and do things. So uh, everyone out there who are, are creating great stuff. Thank you, Clarence, for coming on. And to everyone out there listening, we're here to share your success in this game. So join us again next time here between two weirwoods.